Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 171 is recorded live September 5th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson from Berrien County, Michigan, where the kids are back in school. Mac and Jim are playing hooky, doing some scuba diving up north, but we have joining us from the east side of the state, we have Dave Toneman. How are you doing today, Dave? Doing great, Darren. Working on getting better. Excellent. Uh, working on getting better. You, you've been under the weather? No, but there's always room to get better from great. Oh, well, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I go for that. So it's been a while since we've had you on the show. You've been getting much diving in? I've been getting quite a bit of river diving in, a little bit of uh, Lake Huron diving, and quite a bit of classes this summer. Well, that's excellent. Good mix of, of a little bit of everything. Quite. Still not enough, though. I don't well, think it's, there is it's, such it's a thing. it's never enough. I mean, if, if, if your skin stops wrinkling, then that means you've been out of the water too long. Quite, quite. Don't want that gear to dry up and rip, you know, shrivel up. Yeah, that's a that's always a risk. You know, if you don't get in the water enough, it's just going to dry out and blow away. Well, last weekend, uh, right after the show, we had Jim Schultz. He headed up north to Sheboygan. It's the Mud Club Divers annual Sheboygan trip. And uh, as of, well, it's been a couple years now, but they've been starting to go up early. So they hit that Labor Day weekend and they stay all the way to the first full weekend after Labor Day. So Jim Schultz, he headed up last Friday. And I believe he's heading back today. I thought we might see him on, but he must not be back in time. And then Mac was heading up today, so they weren't actually going to be up there at the same time. But from the photos I've been seeing, and you can check them out on the Mud Club website, they've been getting some excellent diving in. They did get blown off on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. It it rained and blew, and the waves were a little high, so they were going to try and make up some lost time. So we wish them happy dives. And we're jealous of them. I, I certainly am. I, you know, it's like every year you kind of make a plan of what kind of diving you're going to do. And Sheboygan is on my list every year. And it's been disappointing. I want to say the last six years I've only made it up twice. I'm still doing better than the dry suit pursuit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I still need to get into the dry suit. I, it's, it's a running joke. Now, I, I was real close, I would say within the last week. Uh, nice. There was a, a diver who was selling a whole bunch of gear, including a dry suit. So I was talking to my dive buddy, Jim Kleeman, and we were looking at maybe going in on the kit and him picking up some of the gear and I would pick up the dry suit. But it, it's going to be unusual for me other than if you do like a White's Fusion to pick something off the shelf and it's going to fit. Very true. And uh, it was a Viking dry suit. And the the size the guy said he had, I couldn't easily match up to a size chart so i'm not convinced it would fit me or even if it's the correct size so uh, the size charts on vikings are quite confusing anyway yeah they had uh one through five and they had double wide and then double extra wide and for me i was probably like a three double extra wide which i don't consider myself a double wide but uh 
to be able to get everything in, and, and you can't get it all in. I mean, I've got a size 12 shoe. I have since I was 12. <laughs> and uh, to even get the boot the right size, I, you had to go with a four or five. And then chest. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people who are pretty buff. I'm not saying I am, but there are many who are. And it was only the, the two largest sizes that uh, what I would consider to be a, a decently built person would be able to get into. So do do they run a, I mean, can you make up some of that, that distance in a measurement of a dry suit if it says so many inches? I mean, to a point, uh, the thing about a Viking is there isn't a lot of give in it. Sometimes you just have to go a little bit bigger and deal with the excess bulk. That's, that's what I was kind of planning on. If it, if it, as long as the minimum measurement in one area was never below, I figured I'd be okay, but there was just too many spots where it was within a, it would be within an inch and that doesn't give you any undergarments then. And they yep. and they warn you on the measuring charts that the that these measurements are taken from the sizing dummy they use and that's a tight fit. Yes, it is. Well, this first article that we have up on the news this week is a hyperbaric chamber opens in Pacific Grove, and I believe this is Monterey, California. As yeah, yeah, it's, it's Monterey, California. They're scheduling. They had a ribbon cutting on, or they're going to have one on September 28th. Uh, the chamber is at the Pacific Grove Fire Station on Pine Street. It opened in early August after being closed in 2012. It had operated continuously since 1966, and it was one of three multi-place emergency chambers in the state. The other two were the Travis Air Force Base and the Santa Catalina Island. Unlike other decompression chambers, these are the multi-chambers where physicians and technicians can pass items in. So this is almost the exact same type of chamber that we have in Battle Creek. Sounds like it. And uh, what it, the reason they were able to open the chambers is through donations mostly led by the diving community. They said once that word got out about us having to shut down to deal with maintenance, we had an outpouring of support from the recreational dive community as well as the scientific dive community. With research institutions, dive enthusiasts from as far as San Francisco chipping in, the chamber was able to cover the cost of repairs and operations over the next few years. The Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary hired two chamber technicians from the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration to help with the repairs and enhance the knowledge of the volunteers. The chamber is used to treat divers with decompression sickness. Um, let's see, I, th- I think they were saying they were averaging uh, four to six cases a year through the chamber. Seems quite, seems quite busy. It is. Well, you got to consider California has a large population. They probably do a lot of diving there, but that seems busy because I'm, I'm trying to remember when we talked to Rick Sass, I don't think they'd had a single case. <laughs> Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, no, it's better to have it not need it than the other way around. So good to see that the chamber's open. And I know that there are other chambers in the area. If you've, you know, it's something that's good to keep an eye on is your local chamber. Know where it is. That way if but you I've... or one of your dive buddies need some assistance, you can get them in. You know, a couple things I saw in that article that struck me as kind of different is, one, that chamber is at a fire station, and then the reason that they had closed it was the insurance provider did not cover medical liability for the chamber's operation. And then evidently the diving community pitched in and did what it had to do to get the chamber back operating. seems to be a uh, growing trend. It does. And you always have to reevaluate your risk when you look at your business or organization or whatever you have. Uh, just to make sure there are no gaps because it would be quite a shock if something happened and you weren't covered. Yeah, quite. And I know that the one in Battle Creek they've looked at, it seems like about every two to three years, this discussion comes up of whether it's going to stay open or closed. And uh, it usually ends up staying open. I think the the issue they have now 
is that for what little footprint it takes, they're not going to get a whole lot back. Right. But it's good to keep an eye eye on it because uh, you, know, you need to scre- scream if they got to close it down. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't Rick a major supporter of that particular uh, chamber? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, Rick Sass from uh, the Sass Dive Shop, he, he operates that and manages it, and uh, he also trains all the hyperbaric technicians. Awesome. And helium's back in the news, unfortunately. Uh, helium shortage. They're saying it's going to get worse if uh, Congress doesn't act. And yeah, it said, seems like this comes up every year this time. It does, and, I, and I'm and i always skeptical when I see an article like this because the only reason it's being covered is somebody has something to gain or to lose. So some, some basic facts about helium. It's used in a lot of different things from scuba diving to uh, medical imaging. Uh, there's two sources in the United States to provide 50% of the world's helium. Uh, there's a Wyoming facility that accounts for 20% of the total supply. And there's a plan shut down from September through mid-October for maintenance and plant upgrades. Uh, and they said 30% is provided through Amarillo, Texas. And that's administered by the U.S. Bureau of Land Management. And they said that expires on October 7th. So what I'm guessing is if they don't renew it, then they stop running it. Well, what's interesting, like it says in the article, in 1996, Congress directed Helan business be privatized and set a date of September 30th, 2013 for that to occur. And Praxair is in the mix. So I'm guessing that what's going to probably end up happening is somehow Praxair is going to be entering into a long-term lease from BLM and taking over the operation of helium supplies, which... It's kind of hard to say. I mean, taking it out of government hands and putting it into uh, commercial hands, it's hard to say whether the price is going to go up or down and how supply is going to run. Yeah, because I see there being, <laughs> simple to say, it's either going to go up or it's going to go down. Uh, the reason I could see it going up is it's been, even though it seems to be expensive for us, it is is fairly cheap. It's probably cheaper than what it costs to maintain the facilities. Oh, most certainly. Um but then on the other hand, if you've got a resource, until it actually is constrained, the free market should drive that down as long as there's plenty of plenty of capacity. Right. And, and so I don't far, know, everything I've seen, it's not an issue of supply. It's an issue of just the management of the infrastructure. Yeah, because you've got the you've, you've got a because it's a waste product essentially. It it comes out of the ground when they process natural gas. And it's uh, essentially a waste, and you have to store it somewhere. So when the government had an interest in it, we had large underground areas that we were storing it in, and they, by law, were maintaining enough so they could run airships and other uh, capabilities that are considered to be vital. Without you know this government mandate, you know if you're a private company, how much money do you want to spend in storing it, especially if it doesn't have that much market? Uh, and and I've heard rumors that they were just letting it bleed out into the atmosphere because they didn't want to have to even deal with it. I'm sure, but there's quite. I think there really is quite a large market for helium, and it, it, every year when this pops up, the amount of complaining and the the press that the whole issue of helium gets this time of the year, every year, there, there must be a sizable market. Well, you, in every hospital has an MRI machine that uses helium. Uh, I know a lot of party stores were hit this last year when it went away. So hopefully for diving, the supply remains and we can get some more gas. Yeah, we've got plenty sitting on hand for this year. 
Well, I'm sure that uh, I, I know a few dive shops are doing some, I won't call it hoarding, but uh, strategic reserves. It's kind of hard to sell that tech class if you don't have any helium. That is true. Kind of hard to talk funny on the phone, too. <laughs> Not that we would ever do that. No, no. Uh, five hobbies that insurers aren't real thrilled of. And at the end, you'll get a re- you'll figure out why, of course, we're talking about it. First one up that will get, your, get you in hot water in the insurance is base jumping. They're saying that the you know, everybody knows that it's risky. Then base jumping is where you you dive off, dive off, jump off, or and skydive, parachute off fixed structures such as bridges or high rises. If you're doing that, the chance of dying is one in sixty, which that's that's crazy. One in sixty. That's why you only do fifty nine jumps. <laughs> exactly. Can we skip the sixtieth? We'll jump right to sixty one. <laughs> exactly. So if you are with Lloyd's of London, they'll blacklist you if you have base jumping as one of your hobbies. Uh, the next one is hand gliding. The chances of dying with hand gliding are 1 in 560. So if you disclose it as your hobby, expect some higher rates. They can charge you up to five times your normal rate. Motorsports, such as racing cars to motorcycles, will is also something that uh, the insurance companies don't like and will sock your premium. So it can cost you up to 1,500 pounds more each year to be covered. Your risk of die, dying while racing a motorcycle is 1 in 1,000. I'm not sure if I believe these numbers. I'm, I'm not buying the numbers. No, I, I think that they're missing a zero. I could, you know, if you said 1 in 10,000 or 1 in 20,000, it's, yeah, the, the, however they're counting the groups are a little bit off. Okay, next one's mountain climbing. Uh they said if you climb alone without a safety harness or very high up, then your insurer is going to get stressed. The risk of dying from the sport is 1 in 1,750 each year. Many insurance insurers will cover you at no extra cost. They'll exclude your climbing activity from the coverage, however. <laughs> if you want to be covered while climbing the rock face, you have to spend 5 to 10 times more than your standard coverage. And then risk from scuba diving. After listening to all those numbers, this hardly seems like much of a risk. They have a 1 in 34,000, which they said is three times more risky than skydiving. I'm not going to buy that number. Um, I know that statistically Dan is reporting less than 100 deaths per year worldwide, and that would mean there's only, what, 340,000 dives that occur worldwide every year? <laughs> I think with our club we're about halfway there. Yeah. yeah. These numbers are all suspect in my book. Uh, but regardless of what their numbers are saying, it is, it is making a very good point that uh, it doesn't hurt to check into your policy and see exactly what you're covered for. And there are other programs that are available out there that will that will cover you. And of course, you're going to pay pay a premium for them. Yep. Well, and that that just you mentioned Dan. Dan's an excellent way of getting coverage. They're not a sponsor of the show, so we're, we're not making any money off saying that. But it is certainly worth taking a look at your Dan coverage. Quite. So, and then that leads into our next story, which is basically saying that modern man is a wuss. <laughs> See, this this would be where uh, Mac and Jim would 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 certainly have something to say. And let's see if we get this article to come up. It says modern men are boring, less adventurous than their father's generation. This is a study. Uh, they said men have become less willing to engage in thrill-seeking activities over the last 35 years. Researchers say it's partially because they are less fit and lack motivation. 
It also says modern-day men are only 28% more likely than women to participate in adventurous activities such as parachuting and scuba diving. I hate to say it, but uh, in a great overall scheme, they're probably right, because today's modern man would rather sit on the couch and play Battlefield 3. <laughs> we have Rich just jumped in. I, I think he's he's uh, harassing us. <laughs> How you doing, Rich? And then again, while we're at it, I'd like to thank everybody who's come in the chat room. We have Tracy, we have Roger, we have Jared, and then we scooped up Dave while he was he was in there, a heckler. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I'm I, and I think you're a little younger than me. But uh, I'll 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 say Rich uh, from Diver Sink. He he's about my age, within a few months. And we we were from the Evil Knievel generation, where we had bicycles and you yeah, made ramps we, and we, you jumped off the ramp and you know, it, it was. I think everybody wanted to be a stuntman, fireman, or something at some point in time. Yeah, we figured that out once. We're all within a five-year period. I am the uh, the baby of the group, which is funny because Tracy was making fun of me earlier, calling me old. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we were we were very adventurous, and there's still quite a few of us that are into those kind of things. Um, but I see a lot of my generation that you know the most adventurous thing they do is go to the golf course. Unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, Roger in the chat room is saying he's got scars from jumping bonfires. See, that's the way. Not that we're encouraging reckless or crazy activities, but come on. So uh, if if you're listening to this podcast and you don't scuba dive, it's a challenge. I'm calling you a wuss if you don't want to get out there and scuba dive. And if you don't know how to start, just just ask us. We'll we'll get you hooked up. Yeah, yeah. Find a good good dive shop. Go in and talk to them. And it's not saying it's it's good it's good to have some fear, but how do you know if you're really alive if you're not challenging some of that fear from time to time life without exploration would be boring you've got to jump that bonfire to find out you can get scars <laughs> yeah how would you know otherwise and and i think part of it is just the activity that we've got enough activities where you don't have to go out to do anything if you're on a video game and you do something in the game that's all you've done that's electrons when you turn it off when you shut it down that's it it's it's it doesn't persist so you got to go out there and build some memories. So even Roger says he'll hook them up. He, so if you if if you don't know, and I've I've I don't think I've ever actually had anybody take us up on this, but if you don't know where to get started on scuba diving, just drop us a line. You can send it to us at the show. So the show at scubaobsessed.com, and we'll get you in contact. At least let us know what country, what part of the state you're from, and we'll find you some people who will direct you who is the best in your area to get started with. So once you've figured out how to do that wild and exhilarating scuba diving, here's one place you may want to take a look at. We have the Emirates and uh, the world, which is their man-made island that was kind of in the shape of a world. Uh, I think we covered it a, a year or so ago, but they had made a reef. They had uh, transplanted some rocks, coral rocks, that were in danger from other construction projects, and they moved them, and they moved them whole. And they're saying that uh, kind of as a follow-up, uh, that those rocks that they moved 18 kilometers are doing well and have actually grown by 25%. It took them 49 days and cost 36 million, whatever Dubai's currency is. The Discovery Channel actually made a documentary on it. And they said now that it, uh, it, it's, it's grown by about a fifth, has 18 types of coral with new ones spawning. They said traditionally corals moved, it is chiseled and drilled from rocks, put in baskets and taken to an location. They said this was an option for us because each rock was encased in coral, and that would have left us severely damaged if we had removed it the usual way. 
says it was one of the biggest coral relocation projects ever with 20,000 coral colonies spared from the effects of infrastructure development. Do now, you remember where they brought the coral from? It was in that same general area. So, I mean, 18 kilometers really isn't a huge difference. What's that in miles? You know, 10, 12 miles? Ah, I, I totally missed the 18 kilometers. Yeah, so it was. I think it was in the, the same Dubai area, uh, but it was in an obscure spot, if I can remember. I, it's been a while since I saw the Discovery program on it. But this photo, if that's really what it looks like, that's amazing. Because it seems like I remember when they did the photo, it looked it made Lake Michigan look crystal clear. I don't know. Coral seems to be a very, it's it's very fragile, but at the same time, it's very flexible. You know, with the aquarium we have at the shop, seeing it come in in the way that it's established itself and grown, um, there's a megalodon tooth that was placed into the tank, and the coral is starting to grow into it. it it's interesting the way nature will heal itself, and it's also interesting that as humans, we have the capability to help nature. I mean, they were going to destroy this reef, so instead of destroying it, they moved it. It's, it's, that's a lot of money expended to uh, preserve this reef. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and with something like this, life finds a way to grow. Now, coral, each species of coral has its ideal range of pH, water quality, nutrients, food, light, temperature. That all has to be within bounds. If you can hit all those elements, it grows like a weed, provided it has something to grow onto, which is where some of these artificial reef programs are uh, really helpful. When, when you see them in the U.S. and we take ships and sink them down, it doesn't take a long time in the right conditions for those that coral to grow. So excellent program. Glad they did it. And I know that their long-term goal in Dubai is uh, tourism. So if they can get that to take especially where they've got it, then they'll, they'll have some tourists eventually heading that way. It'd be some interesting diving. And then along with some coral, we have some sharks coming. New species of shark was identified. Scientists from the Conservation International discovered a new species of shark in Indonesia that said this, this species is unusual in that it gets around by walking. The ambulating shark uses its fins to glide across the seafloor in its belly as it searches for food and a place to rest. Uh, it was discovered and is now being called the, the Paulette shark. I'm, I'm trying to make sure if I read it right. I, I, I think I'm pretty close. I won't say the Latin name. It said it is one of nine walking sharks found all over the road to stripe the world. The striped shark can grow up to 30 inches long. It is harmless to humans and so far has only been seen in the waters off Indonesian island of Halmera. They said discovery is important to help the Asian islands work to protect the habitat of the native sharks against fisheries and export dried shark fins to points all over the world. They said the female of the species lays eggs underneath coral ledges in the waters, and the baby sharks are born into the world where they mostly swim around slowly using their fins and legs to search for crustaceans and other kinds of food. Six of the nine known walking well, shark species occur in Indonesia. It. What's that? You did a pretty good job of uh, pronouncing it, the epaulet shark. Hemocilium helmehera. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I knew I should have taken Latin. Yeah, this kind of ties into your uh, your adventure article. This is proof that we have yet to uh, find everything that exists in our world. That you know, it's the seventy percent that most of us don't get to see, and there's the adventure. I mean, the exploring and finding a new species, kind of a an odd-looking creature, but fascinating. Well, Indonesia just has so much life over there. 
I, I think there's some of this may have been seen before. It's just a matter of categorizing it and, and seeing it as a unique species. Well, that's, that's probably true. Good reason to get off the couch, go out and discover a new species. And that does it for... Oh, wait, no, we do. We, yep. we have... Oh, gosh, we almost forgot the biggest one. So you can't forget this one. No, nope, we'll throw it in the chat room. Everybody in the chat room has been able to follow along with us. A Florida family has found $300,000 in gold sunken treasure. Rick and Leisha Smith and their family have, have hauled up an estimated 300000 worth of gold from a historic wreckage in the Atlantic Ocean. They found gold in chains from a wreckage of a convoy of ships that went down a hurricane off the Florida coast in 1715 en route from Havana to Spain. The ship's manifest indicate about $400 million worth of treasures on board, of which $175 million has been recovered. The family bought the rights to the wreck from the heirs of the legendary treasure hunter Mel Fisher in 2010 and allows others, including the Schmitz, to search under subcontracting agreements. Uh, Brisbane says the Schmitz, who live in Stanford, Florida, have been searching for the treasure for years. Eric Schmidt, who also made the latest haul, also found a silver platter worth 25000 in 2002 when he was a high school sophomore. Under U.S. and Florida law, the treasury would be placed in the custody of U.S. District Court in South Florida. The state of Florida would be allowed to take possession of up to 20% of the fine for displaying the state museum. The remainder is split evenly between the company and the Schmidt family. They said that this particular wreckage is the basis for the 1977 film The Deep and the 2008 film Fool's Gold. My first question, <clears throat> will it ever end up in a museum? Well, you know, a glass case in my office would be a museum. No, I, I agree. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, and that's one of the things that always gets Mac going is when archaeologists and people take stuff to hoard it in the basement, never to be seen again. That would be, uh, that would be an awesome find, but I, I, I have to agree with the comment from the chat room. If I did find it, it would probably never be in an article. What? what? Found what? <laughs> Check out the pretty rocks. Yeah. I found these pretty rocks while I was out there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with gold is gold is so easily transportable. I mean, you, I'd like you, to know. I'd like uh, to know though how much they paid Mel Fisher for the uh, the rights to uh, salvage the site. Yeah. See, I don't know if that was done as a lease where you pay so much. I have an idea that it's there's got to be some sort of royalties. I would think the Fisher family is very good at keeping gold. Much better than Odyssey. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Odyssey hasn't done too well. So this time, that really does it for the news. We're done with the news for this week. Now, since last week, I have not been able to get any scuba diving in. This was Labor Day weekend and getting the kids ready to go back to school, so I didn't happen to get in the water. Well, I hate to say it, that's two of us. I had my uh, kids come up for the holiday weekend, and we did do some water-type stuff. Uh, they got to go play in Lake Huron and went swimming in a beach just north of Port Huron, uh, explored a light uh, lighthouse. They got to uh, get the Grand Tour of the St. Clair River, check out some freighters, stuff like that, but uh, didn't get to get in the water. Now, you said lighthouse. Which which one did you happen to get a chance to see? Uh, the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse, which is at the uh, the mouth of the St. Clair River, south end of Lake Huron. It is the uh, the second oldest lighthouse in the state of Michigan. Or no, I'm sorry. It's the oldest lighthouse in the state of Michigan, the second oldest lighthouse inland. 
trying to recall the stories from the docent. And it's uh, very well tied into the uh, the great the white hurricane from the 1913 storm. Actually, really interesting place to visit. There's phenomenal stories uh, about the wrecks that have occurred there. And the lighthouse evidently has only had a grand total of nine days down since 18, I want to say it was around 1820 when they lit it. I'm, I'm probably off, but it's pretty close to 1820. It's part of the uh, the Port Huron Museum. It's I can remember as a kid, my grandfather used to love to go to lighthouses, and we would go and climb up and down them, which I think that's the only person fit enough to do it as a three-year-old. <laughs> nice. <laughs> another another great thing about the Great Lakes, there are definitely plenty of lighthouses to check out. There are some that actually operate as bed and breakfasts, and there's quite a few that are operated still. Um by the Coast Guard that are open to the public for tours. Uh, local communities, usually county parks, um, run tour programs, have docents that uh, take you through and explain the history of the lighthouse. And plenty of them. If I'm not mistaken, there are more lighthouses in the state of Michigan than any other state in the Union. Yep, and if you want to know more about the Michigan lighthouses, you can go to www.michigan.org forward slash lighthouses. And the state of Michigan, as part of their Pure Michigan campaign, has some uh, tourism information on lighthouses. They, they have a state lighthouse listing, which shows all the lighthouses. And actually, if you go to the website, that's one of the filters. You can say, what are you looking for? Amusing, amusement parks, casinos, and right after casinos, they have lighthouses. And uh, they're showing 93 results. So this is just for the state of Michigan. You have 93 opportunities to see lighthouses. Wow, that Pretty one in Latina. Awesome. Yeah, it's, they're they're coming up alphabetical, and each one is unique. It's it's not like they were cookie cutter with these lighthouses. Each lighthouse was designed for a particular particular location, uh, the needs, the weather, the materials that were available, and the time and when it was built. Yeah, it was pretty close. According to this, uh, the Fort Gratiot Lighthouse was built in 1825. 1825, good memory, huh? So what we need to do is we need to get diving kind of associated with these lighthouses. So you go see a lighthouse, and you get yeah, the family goes sees the lighthouse, and then while they're at the lighthouse, you go out and get some diving in. Well, that just gave me an idea. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, because 93, gosh. I mean, to do to do all 93 lighthouses in a year, I mean, that would that'd be some hustling. A lighthouse dive passport. Yeah, good idea. Let's see. Yeah, so uh, now the Mud Club did get some diving, so if you go to Mud Club com. you can see some of the posts that have been out there. Uh, they don't. We don't have any photos yet for up north, but they're saying uh, we had Rick, Mary Beth, Jim Schultz, uh, Bob Sweeney, and let's see, they've done, they dove the Ginny Lynn, which is a steel boat that's up there in about 15 feet of water in Duncan Bay. Said they had 15 to 20 feet of visibility. They did the St. Andrew, which is in 57 feet of water. Now, have you ever dove that one, Dave? I have not been up in that area. That's uh, that is on my uh, oh. my bucket list. Oh, and we 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 got to get it. We maybe we didn't need to schedule next summer. I know I said that last summer, but this next summer because the St. Andrews is a nice one, especially if you've got divers who Sheboygan. Oh, they asking where? Yeah, Sheboygan. Yeah. Uh, the the St. Andrew is it's in 57 feet of water, and for many divers, even those that over here in Lake Michigan, because a lot of our wrecks are rubble wrecks, that one is an intact. Uh, sailing ship that looks like a sailing ship. It's just not a splayed open hull and center keel. That's 
that's the real deal. And that's, that one's only in 57 feet. So that's wow. a good teaser, just kind of whet your appetite for all the, the deeper wrecks that are available. And then I know on the Mud Club Facebook page, there was somebody who dove uh, the Henry Cord out of Muskegon, and they showed some pictures of it, and it was in much better shape than I thought that was in. So that's another one that, and and I've been, you know, we go out there to the Ironsides all the time. We need to just uh, plan a little bit extra day and go drop in on that because it's right next to the pier. It's it can the visibility can be pretty poor. And then since the last show, Mac's been a, been doing some more river diving, and he got some yeah. some great. He's posted photos. some good. He's posted some good post uh, some good pictures. Yeah, I'm I'm going to try and do some editing to that because. Uh, I don't think he's got his camera quite balanced right. But that clay banks, uh, I was surprised when we came across those a few weeks ago, diving in a river. I mean, it is just like giant cutout of clay. And that was near the paper mill? No, the, well, I'm sure there are some up there by the paper mill, but uh, the ones I saw were just past the bridge in Niles, which would have been a little bit upstream from when you dove with us. Uh, not the train bridge, but the next bridge up, there's a big section of clay. You just, all of a sudden, the, the bottom kind of drops, and it's a little bit darker. So, And it makes sense, because we have that in the land. You have spots that are clay and some that aren't. and It makes sense for them to be underwater, but you just don't associate that. And when I think of the river, you always think of you know a bunch of rocks, a little gravel, a little sand, but quite a bit of diversity. Well, get up there and start gluing the leaves on the trees so they don't fall uh, this, this year. It, it is. And, we're going to have an early... Fall and winter this year, people. Uh, we're seeing it. I uh, as a week ago, I noticed the soybeans were starting to tips of the leaves were turning a little bit, which is something I usually don't see till the middle of September. Tonight, driving home, the entire fields have all turned, so they're starting to dry down. So we're definitely closer to fall and winter than we are to summer. I know we still got some summer days according to calendar, and the water's still hanging in there, being warm. So you need to get out there. Uh, but, but you know, the benefit to this time of the year, the best thing about this time of the year is when you're getting ready on the surface and in between dives, you're not boiling and roasting in your dry suit. Oh, yes. Well, and you can always adjust it. If you know it's going to be a hot day, you just start a little bit earlier. And when, once you you're go. underwater, it doesn't seem that hot. This when is when you still get out, an awesome time. And when you get out, you can always peel off pretty quick to cool down. It's that getting geared up when it's hot that can be a little rough. Do you have any diving planned? Uh, you know, I, I don't. This weekend, I'm afraid, it's going to have to be a work weekend. i got to head into Chicago, which is another reason why I'm not up in Sheboygan. Oh, there's sneak so, off while you're over in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> That'd probably go over well. Yeah, I'm going to – I'm actually planning on driving about halfway there, and I might take the train the rest of the way. I haven't decided yet. It's about a wash either way. There's something nice about having your car there, but I also don't like paying 20-something. Like, I think it's 22 or 24 bucks for parking at the uh, convention center. Wow. Yeah, Chicago. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a dive in somewhere this weekend. If I don't get down to White Star this weekend, I'm going to uh, get in. I've got a couple of little secret spots that are right close to the house. My gills are starting to dry and flap in the breeze. So it's good to you know they have those secret spots. Yeah, the, and and Rich says he's got a he's teaching an open water class on Sunday. I'm I just, I need to get in. It's I'm my dives seem to be about three to four weeks apart, which is way too long. Oh, that's that's not good. You're you're gonna have to buy all new gear soon. Well, I already, yeah, I already do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already a, already a need. It's just a, probably accelerating it. A, as, well, you got anything to plug, Dave, before we wrap this one up? Yeah, don't uh, don't make the article come true. All the younger generations, and that's from uh, 80 on down, 100 on down. Get out and explore. 
Quit being a couch potato. Go diving. Get out and get wet. Go dive. Certainly. Don't make the article come true. And as always, we love those five-star reviews on iTunes. If you head on over to iTunes, drop us a five-star review. It helps get us listed on the site, gets more people listening to the show, and helps us do what we do. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You can follow us on Twitter and keep up to date with scuba news at scuba obsessed on, on the Twitter. And then if you have any comments, suggestions, uh, you know, and we're actually I'm starting to work on plans for guests. I need to have more guests on. Uh, drop us a link at the show at scubaobsessed.com. I, I think I need an intern. <laughs> you, you probably are growing one or two in the house there. Yeah, yeah, they're, I, yeah, they're, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. Ooh, uh. Rich has got a plug from Munising. A plug from Munising? Uh, one spot left. Room. So when, when you go into Munising, Rich? There's such a delay. I probably could have a whole conversation and it'll come back. But uh, <laughs> head on over to uh, uh, Divers Incorporated website. July of 2014. He's already booked through July 2014 on the Munising. One spot left. You need to go. I believe that's what he's saying, Darren. Me? He said I need oh, yeah. to take that last spot. Oh yeah. Oh, I I got to look at my 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 calendar next year. Don't look at your calendar. Just pencil it in and make life work around it. Yeah, this has been a year of many big adjustments. So I'm I'm hoping that next year's hoping next year I'm going to get some some more in, which I should be able to. Well, hopefully this winter you'll be able to uh, get some ice diving in if it uh, does oh, turn cold. We need to. We need some ice diving. It's been the last two years we've been skunked on it. It's time. I think it's going to happen. It doesn't count if you can't fire off the chainsaw. If you can cut the hole without starting the chainsaw, it's not ice diving. Yeah, if you can chip, that's called swimming with with uh, ice cubes. Yeah, I've, I've got my my chainsaw all tuned up. I got some fresh gas in it. It's ready. Did you get the hole sewn in a wetsuit yet, or replace it? No, no, I haven't. I might know a dive shop that has wetsuits. <laughs> Do you, you think you might? Uh, Rich is also saying he's got two spots left for Isle Royal and two spots left for Cooper River. Uh, and that must be, that's for 2014 as well, I'm imagining. That is correct. Yeah, because this is going to be the first year in a long time I haven't gone to Cooper River. He, he got that one filled up. Ooh. Rich said he has a bright red uh, wetsuit for you. Ooh, I'm, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have to call him up on that. Yeah, because uh, I do need something. Max, Max got a new wetsuit. Nice. So I think I about got him in trouble. I don't know if the, if the rest of the family realizes he got one. <laughs> we were at the picnic, and I said, which? And I, I didn't know he had a new wetsuit. I was just asking him which, you know, wetsuit, dry suit he was going to bring. And then he shushed me down like I was going to get him in super trouble or something. <laughs> so you're saying he didn't run that through the purchasing department first? Uh, no, he did not get a PO for that one. He uh, uh, had uh, procured it. Probably through petty cash. That happens. That happens. It, it can, but let's. If you only get two hundred dives out of a wetsuit, then that's about nine months for Mac. <laughs> yeah, and he's not exactly gentle in his diving style either. No, it's uh, diving's a full contact sport. <laughs> well, I think it's that time of the show. Are you ready? Oh dear God! Hang on. Let me buckle my seatbelt. Put my helmet on. Yeah, we, we got once again. We'll thank everybody in the chat room. We have uh, uh, Tracy, Paul, uh, Rich from Diver Sink, Roger, Jared, 
So you've made it this far. This is usually when we start seeing the the little icons start flashing away. So I've got my my, my safety glasses are on. I'm ready. Okay. Might be. You might also need to get your Lloyd's of London and Dan updated. But here we go. A senior citizen scuba diver drove his brand new Corvette convertible out of the dealership, taking off down the road. He floated 80 miles an hour, enjoying the wind blowing through his gray hair. He said, "Amazing." He thought as he flew down I-94, pushing the pedal even more. Looking in the rearview mirror, he saw a state trooper behind him. Lights flashing, siren blaring. He floored it to 100 miles an hour, then 110, then 120. Suddenly he thought, what am I doing? I'm too old for this. He pulled over and waited for the, tr- the trooper's arrival. Pulling in behind him, the trooper walked up to Corvette, looked at his watch, and said, sir, my shift ends in 30 minutes. Today is Friday. If you can give me a reason for speeding that I've never heard before, I'll let you go. The old gentleman paused. He said, years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper. I thought you were bringing her back. Good day, sir, replied the trooper as he walked back to his car. Uh, not quite the uh, the worst, but still pretty bad. Still you know, for pretty some bad. reason, this one sounds too familiar. I can't tell if it's... Be- Did I do that one? Probably a variation of. Yeah, I've probably done. There's a few of these I've probably done two or three times. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have to have a contest, see who can do it. Well, in, in case we did, uh, here, here here's another one. A man rushed into a busy doctor's surgery and shouted, Doctor, I think I'm shrinking. The doctor calmly responded, Now settle down, you'll just have to be a little patient. Oh, man, that's bad. Uh, so, until next time, go out there and get wet. completed rich needs rum <laughs> i do too i'm actually out of rum i'm i'm on i'm doing blue moon tonight my last two bo- bottles from the last week in the bonfire nice well thank you for coming on and filling in dave no problem there is a waiting list i guess for the october cooper river trip oh i i've got so much at work i don't even know if it opened up if i could get in i mean if i could swing it you're sounding a little bit uh, pale are, are you feeling okay oh. you might have to stay in bed for a couple of days you know i i don't know and there's openings in the spring yeah spring is just isn't going to work for me that's about the worst time for me to try and get out october traditionally hasn't been too bad but we've got a new product we're launching at work and it's crazy crazy anybody in the chat room want to come on for a little bit